Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. My name is Wesley Laborde, and this is Gorgon Phillips. Nice to meet y'all. We'll be our hosts for today. And today we will be talking about the tales of Bonnie and Clyde and their adventures in the American Southwest. On May 23, 1934, the reign of Bonnie and Clyde came to an end with the gruesome ambush set up by the two Texas headhunters, Frank Hammer and Manny Galt. But how did this young couple, early in their 20s, merit such a drastic ambush and death? What caused these two young people, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow, to become the scourge of the entire southeastern police force? Our goal today is to learn the backgrounds and motives of these two killers, to find out what caused two young birds to turn into heartless murderers. Okay, to understand the workings of Bonnie and Clyde, it is first important to understand their childhood. Bonnie Parker was born October 1st, 1910, and was described as very pretty by her classmates and was a very good student in school. Tragically, though, she lost her father at a very early age, and by the age of 16, was married and a high school dropout. Wow, just like you, Wesley. Clyde was also seen as very attractive as a young age, but he was never a good student. Dropping out of high school as a freshman, he and his older brother decided one night to rob a shop. They were caught in the act, resulting in Clyde's brother being caught and Clyde developing a taste for crime. So how did these two seemingly different people meet? Well, Bonnie and Clyde met in January of 1930 at a friend's house in West Dallas. This was just a few weeks before Clyde was arrested for stealing a car. Before this, Bonnie had been married to a man named Roy Thornton, who had been jailed for thievery. Because of this, Bonnie had to move in with her grandmother and made friends with Clyde's sister. Clyde came home one night to Bonnie hanging out with his sister, and it was love at first sight. Bonnie then aided Clyde's escape from jail after he got caught for stealing a car by smuggling him a gun and driven for her love for him. While these two seemingly opposite people did not seem the type to get into a relationship together, they quickly became inseparable and adored each other. Bonnie followed Clyde into a path of crime and murder, and from there on, the rest is history. So, how did this dangerous duo start their little crime spree? Clyde's first crime was horrible. He was first arrested in 1926 for automobile theft after failing to return a car he had rented. Just three weeks later, he was arrested again, alongside his older brother, for an even more evil crime. Possession of a truckload stolen turkeys after after this the two went on a crime spree that would end up lasting 21 months with the aid of clyde's newly released brother buck they were able to gain a close group of 
friends to help them commit their crimes. Little little gang. Two of their most notorious friends were Ray Hamilton and W.D. Jones. They all started to adopt the name the Barrow Gang. Bar- the Barrow Gang, and were initially based at Clyde's house, the Barrow Repair Station. Early in the life of the Barrow Gang, Clyde got caught robbing and was taken to a farm labor camp. Bonnie was obsessed with breaking him out and was able to argue and fight for him to get an early release term of three months. Shortly after his release, Clyde became increasingly angered at the government's inability to aid the people of America in the Great Depression, and he started stealing money that he assumed was rightfully his. This led to the creation of the Barrow Gang and was the fuel behind their many crimes. The Barrow Gang believed that they were the modern-day Robin Hood, and from then on they rapidly grew popularity among young folks of America. Once the local policemen got suspicious of the Barrow Gang, they were forced to move around from the repair station. And after the gang was chased from the repair station, they ended up going on a spree of crimes in the south. They robbed banks, gas stations, and restaurants, and oddly, they never took more than $1,500 every time. This baffled policemen chasing them, as well as civilians, and this caused many young people to adore Bonnie and Clyde because they believed that they were showing some sort of restraint in order to only take what was necessary to help them in the Depression. During this time period, the Great Depression was in full swing. Many kids started to develop a resentment towards the government because of the Depression and did not like the way they were forced to grow up in poverty. Because of this, Bonnie and Clyde were seen as a sort of local hero during this time. America's youth identified with their anger towards the government and were ad- admirers of how they took matters into their own hands while not being overly greedy. This was largely due to their 1500 gap, 1500 gap, which led many teens to see the Barrow Gang as a sort of Robin Hood-esque crusade against the greedy wealthy at the time. Now, at the start of their relationship, Bonnie was by no means the malicious crime lord that she turned into later in her life. This change was largely due to her devotion to Clyde, who consistently gave her the option to opt out of their crimes, which was kind of surprising to the general public. The first such opportunity was when Clyde accidentally murdered a grocery store clerk in an attempt to get some pocket change, shooting the man and leaving the man's wife, who later became a witness. Her testimony to the police created a statewide search warrant for Clyde, and he became wanted for murder in the state of Texas. Clyde understood that he would have to be on the run for the rest of his life because of this, and immediately sent Bonnie away to live with his sister in order to keep her safe from harm, and to keep her out of his manhunt. Bonnie initially accepted this, but then grew restless at the thought of not seeing Clyde again and the worry that he will be caught, and because of her adoration for Clyde, she ended up seeking him out and asking to go along with him in his many criminal exploits. Naturally, he accepted, and being just as attracted to Bonnie as she was to him. This was the beginning of Bonnie's transition to a heartless killer, and her choices led her to commit 13 murders and numerous crimes crimes along with Clyde. Okay, because Bonnie and Clyde were so popular among the youth at this time, police had an incredibly hard time tracking them down and catching them. This is because detectives would figure out the location of the Barrow Gang, but by the time they got there, the crowds around Bonnie and Clyde were too thick to get through, and Bonnie and Clyde were able to sneak away virtually untouched because of all their fans.
Another limitation to the police was their inability to track criminals into different states. Once a fugitive leaves one state, that state cannot follow it and must pass off the responsibility to another state. Bonnie and Clyde recognized this and made sure to cross state borders after their crimes in order to stay virtually untouchable. After many close escapes and failed police attempts to capture them, the police grew increasingly frustrated. The final straw came with the escape of from East Ham Prison of Ray Hamilton and an accomplice of his, Henry, who had been former members of the Barrow Gang. Clyde shot a Texas marshal in the process, outraging Texas authorities. The Texas Police Department, recognizing that they needed more than patrol officers to capture these criminals, hired two of the most legendary re retired Texas Ranger headhunters. These two men, Frank Hammer and Manny Galt, had a very extensive background in catching supposedly uncatchable criminals. Frank Hammer was a brilliant, sharpshooting ranger who was known in the South as a man of incredible shooting and very straight morals. He was notoriously fair when it came to dealing with criminals and was one of the most successful Texas Rangers on the force at the time. The end of his ranger career, or so he thought, was a failed attempt to prevent a lynching that resulted in a burned-down courthouse. Manny Galt was a neighbor of Hammer's and was incredibly similar to Hammer in his time as a ranger. Galt also retired after many years of headhunting, and his success produced a ton of respect to his name inside of the police force. These two combined were one of the most efficient headhunting forces America has ever seen, and the two had some incredible chemistry. Hammer was a steadfast motivation behind the group and was always staying on track and planning the next move. Galt's specialty was the crime scene, and he was able to find the most minuscule amount of evidence to use in his tracking. He managed to find countless clues in terms of catching Bonnie and Clyde, and he was the main reason they were able to track them over so many states. Now, at the time of the jailbreak and Hammer and Galt's intervention, Bonnie and Clyde had been at large for two years. Hammer's approach was to immediately learn the minds of his criminals, and he did so incredibly well with Bonnie and Clyde. After some research and a ton of traveling around in the south to trail the Barrow Gang, he quickly figured out the pattern of Bonnie and Clyde visiting relatives and friends on holidays, and recognized that their next likely target would be Henry, Henry's family. They were based in a small town named Bienville in Louisiana, and Hamber, Hammer <laughs> quickly made friends with the Henderson Jordan, the resident's sheriff, and told him about the imminent presence of Bonnie and Clyde. Jordan immediately went, ha went with Hammer and Galt to Mevlin's father, who was surprisingly adamant about catching Bonnie and Clyde. He understood his son was in lots of danger and hatched a plan with the cops to lure Bonnie and Clyde down the road to his house. Mr. Mevlin had become close in the Barrow gang, so when he told Bonnie and Clyde to come to his house for an emergency, they did so without hesitation. On May 23, 1934, Hammer and Galt had an ambush set up for Bonnie and Clyde. It was a sweltering, humid Louisiana summer morning, and by 8 a.m. the policemen were already sweating in their suits. They had decided to set up an ambush on the road leading to Methvin's father's house, along with police officers from Jordan's office. They set up in the, in the surrounding brush, having a total of six guns on the scene, all loaded and cocked. 
The officers had played, had, had stayed in waiting since 2 a.m. and their task started to seem impossible in the Louisiana heat until suddenly a gray, a gray Ford rounded the bend of the road. One of the officers stepped onto the street to stop the car and was fired upon by a sawed-off shotgun from Clyde. Immediately, all five other men opened fire on the car, riddling it with hundreds of bullets and killing both Bonnie and Clyde with multiple shots to the head and body. After the accident, the officers found shotguns, machine guns, and pistols, nine guns in total, in Bonnie and Clyde's car, proving that they were planning on committing further crimes throughout that day. Miraculously, none of the officers were hurt or killed. Clyde and Bonnie had totaled 12 murders, as well as countless robberies, lootings, and kidnappings in Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, Louisiana, Illinois, Ohio, New Mexico, and Indiana. They were widely regarded as the modern-day Robin Hood for many years, and the youth during this time were very divided in terms of supporting their murder or being outraged at it. The Barrow Gang were some of the most influential influential protesters of the Great Depression. Bonnie and Clyde will forever be remembered for their brutality and effectiveness as national killers. Now, in modern times, you will be hard-pressed to find someone who liked Bonnie and Clyde and agreed with them. That was not the case in the 1930s. Bonnie and Clyde were celebrities, and while it may seem baffling to us in modern times, it makes sense in the setting of the 1930s. The Great Depression was still ravaging the economy, and it left the entire generation of youths in America bitter towards the government and anything associated with them. Crime was at an all-time high nationally because of an increase in starvation, and this also created sympathy for certain robbers and criminals who did, who committed their crimes for the sole purpose of helping their families and friends. The most influencing factor for Bonnie and Clyde, however, was their use of their money. They always gave their access to friends and families in need, creating a sort of respect for themselves in their communities. That, coupled with their no-care attitude, gave them a celebrity reputation in the South, which still persists today as a key feature of their historical personalities. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, my name is Wesley. And I'm Grogan. And we hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Tales from a Social Studies Class about Bonnie and Clyde. Thank you. Experiment and executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you.